Do you ever just feel totally overwhelmed? And now it's, it's, it's a weird question to kind of start there because I kind of feel like right now I'm just overwhelmed with the praise that we just had singing these songs as a congregation and to go from there to then a more depressing, a darker question to just say, are there times when you feel just overwhelmed? I, that's a question that hits home for me because uh, if you've spent time with me, I, you know that that's a struggle that I often have. I, always, I often find myself in, in different seasons struggling to not feel completely overwhelmed with what lies before me. Do, do you know that feeling? There's different times that I've identified in my own life where that those things seem to crop up more. One of the ones for me might not be for you. It's at the end of the day, I'm lying in bed. There's no more distraction. There's nothing else calling my attention. I'm lying there and the thoughts start coming. Start thinking about maybe things I did wrong during the day. Maybe start thinking about the responsibilities I still have for the rest of the day looking forward. I think about everything that, that is just going on. I consider my failures and, and, and it just is overwhelming. Other times I tend to feel overwhelmed in seasons of trial or even tribulation. Times of trial might not mean that something bad has happened, but it's the scope of the work that's overwhelming. For me, it's the feeling of Saturday nights, when after a week of studying, I have 20 pages of miscellaneous notes and I'm looking at all of this and I'm like, how does one mess, how am I gonna bring this together into a clear and concise message? What am I gonna do? This needs to be done by tomorrow. It's overwhelming. When I think about the roles I'm meant to accomplish, the feeling of looking at a counseling situation and having no idea what I can say to, to help. The idea, the prospect of leading a church into what we are supposed to do. The, the role of being a, the father I'm meant to be, the husband I'm meant to be. All of these things, the, the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing, they can be overwhelming. And sometimes it's overwhelming because we're, we're in times of tribulation. It's not just the scope of the work, it's the, the opposition we're facing. The roles I'm meant to accomplish, there is opposition against that. Even this week, I texted uh, Pastor Billy uh, along with two other brothers, and I just said, I need some prayer. Right now, there's some things I'm looking at for our church, and, and I'm, I'm not sure what to do here. This morning, I texted the same individuals. Hey, guys, I need your prayer this morning because I know what I want to say, but I still don't know how I'm going to say it. Like, I have rewritten my outline like 20 times. And you can just feel overwhelmed when I think about raising my children in a world where everything is built to keep them away from God and looking at my role and what I'm supposed to do. 
When I think of my role as a husband to love my wife, to put her first and all of the things that are calling me away. When I talk to my wife and she's overwhelmed because she's meant to be raising our children in the fear of the Lord because she's meant to be the mother she wants to be. But all of these things that are telling her that's not what you're supposed to do. It's overwhelming. This feeling of being overwhelmed, it's, it's hard, it's unpleasant. It, it kind of feels like being in a sailboat and you're going along, you're making progress and then pff, the wind's gone. There's nothing in your sails. You're, you're trying to get to that destination, but it's just, there's nothing there. Or even worse, maybe there is wind, but it's going directly against you. You feel frail. You feel like a failure. You feel like going forward is an exercise in futility. Here's what's interesting. That I feel the most overwhelmed regarding good things that I know I'm supposed to be doing. I feel overwhelmed when I look at the roles that God has given me that I'm meant to accomplish. And I'm just like, how? This is beyond me. Again, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever have that feeling of being overwhelmed? Overwhelmed by the prospect of fulfilling your role and walking in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. If you do, if I'm not just speaking here by myself and I'm the only one in this room, then I have good news, not for you, I have good news for us. Because this is a message that I need for myself. This is a passage that I have needed to go back to over and over again throughout this week of, wait a second, what is it that I need to do as I'm feeling overwhelmed? So what's the solution? What do we do? Now, based on, on my introduction, you might assume that this message is going to be all about how not to be overwhelmed. I'm going to give you the three secrets that you need so that you can never be overwhelmed again. It's not what the message is going to be. In fact, I think we're going to do the opposite because I don't think that the problem is that we sometimes feel overwhelmed. I think the problem is that we don't always feel overwhelmed. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, great. This is not the message I needed today. As if I don't have enough going on in my life already. You think, you think feeling overwhelmed is losing the wind from your sails? Buddy, I'm not even in the boat. I'm treading water. One more wave, I'm going under. And you're here to tell me that my problem isn't that I sometimes feel overwhelmed. My problem is that I don't always feel overwhelmed. Yes. But see, the other problem isn't that we get overwhelmed. The problem is what we get overwhelmed with. See, the work ahead of us is hard. Life is easily and often overwhelming, but the problem is we are being overwhelmed with the wrong things. We are being overwhelmed with the things that lead to despair. We are being overwhelmed with things that inhibit us from progressing. I want us to, to be overwhelmed with the things that liberate us, to be overwhelmed with the things that motivate us. I want to overwhelm us with grace. See, Paul's goal in our passage this morning is that we would continually and constantly be overwhelmed by grace. And what that looks like, the way that, that we see that, is an attitude of gratitude. It's thankfulness that is continually happening, happening that we are being thankful 
to the Father. But we aren't going to continually be being thankful if we are not completely and totally overwhelmed by grace. Here's our big idea. When we are overwhelmed by grace, we pursue our purpose with gratitude. When we are overwhelmed by grace, we pursue our purpose with gratitude. This morning is actually part two of the passage that we started last week in Colossians 1, 9-14. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. It's also written on your handout. But this is what we saw last week. Um, What we saw is that we only progress in our purpose of pleasing God when we rely on him for the process. Unless we're relying on God, we can't do this. It's all according to his power. It's according to the process he has ordained. It's according to the purpose he has given. That's how we need to progress. It's by relying on him. And so Paul is praying for the Colossians that they would do that. His request, his petition, is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When Paul asked for that, when he's praying for that, to be filled with the knowledge of his will, what we saw is that Paul is asking that the Colossians would be filled with Christ. What we see in, John, in, in Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3, is that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the, full, the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul's saying, hey, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but then when we see in chapter 2, what, is, what does that mean? It means being filled with Christ. But why does he ask that? Why does he want that to be the case? Because he knows that if we are not filled with Christ, we cannot accomplish our purpose. What is that purpose? It's the next part. It's in verse 10. That we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Our purpose is to be fully pleasing to God. Our purpose is to walk in a manner worthy of him. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be fully pleasing to him? Well, Paul's now going to give four different aspects, four different parts of the process in which we are to walk in a manner worthy. Last week, we looked at the first three. So if you look at verses, uh, verse 10, we have the first one, bearing fruit in every good work. Second one, increasing in the knowledge of God. Third one, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. If we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it's going to include those things. It's going to include bearing fruit. It's going to include continuing to grow in our knowledge of God. It's going to be, include being strengthened with his power according to his glorious might. Now, even though our takeaway last week was only through Jesus... If we're not relying on him, we can't do this. Even though we've pointed to that, I still get overwhelmed looking at that list. I'm still overwhelmed by the prospect of having to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Man, I'm supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm supposed to be fully pleasing to him. I'm supposed to continually bear fruit. I'm supposed to continually increase in the knowledge of the Lord. Even the next part, 
which would seem that it would be encouraging because it's not in, uh, wouldn't seem overwhelming because it's saying that we would be strengthened with all of his power but then it goes on to say for all endurance and patience again overwhelming endurance and patience what does that imply this is going to be hard this is not going to be an easy process This is where Paul brings us to the final piece of walking worthy of the Lord, the final element that should always be present in my life, thankfulness. Thankfulness for God's grace. This is the part that we're going to work on this morning. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What he calls us to is to give thanks. Now we talk about thankfulness a lot. We have a holiday that's meant to be all about thankfulness. We sing about thankfulness. It's one of the first things we teach our kids. Hey, make sure you say thank you. You guys learned it. Good job. (laughs) Considering our familiarity with the topic, it might seem basic to ask this, but I think it's necessary. What is thankfulness? What what does that mean? When we just tell our kids, is it thankfulness when my, one of my children, thank you. Say it, I didn't hear you, say it louder. Thank you. It, it, give, now give them a hug. <laughs> like, is that, is that really the description of thankfulness? What, what is thankfulness? Now this is an important question for us to ask. Think about it. If you were going to make a list of the ways in which you are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and you only had four slots, and I said, all right, I, I, you've got four pieces and I want you to give me an outline this is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord with thankfulness where where would that be on your list would it be on your list but the fact is Paul says this has to be on the list it wouldn't be one of my first things I'd have a bunch of other things oh to walk in a manner worthy it's going to be removing all of these things it's going to be doing all of these things I probably wouldn't put thankfulness on the list And yet Paul has it on the list and he has it so much that even though there's only four chapters of this book, he talks about thankfulness in every single chapter. It's something that Paul sees as as an integral part of us walking in a manner worthy. So what is it? Now this is a little bit more heady might be a little bit more nerding out with with original languages, but but I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about the original word that Paul uses for thankfulness. It's the word eucharisteo. Now, I say that word, and you might think there might be something that triggers in your mind where you're like, man, I think I might have heard something like that before, and you probably have. It's the word eucharist, which is what some people call the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate We're going to come and have the Eucharist. It's going to be the Lord's Supper. Well, why do people call it that? Because when Jesus broke the bread, it says he gave thanks. What is that word? What did he do? He did 
eucharisteo. He gave thanks. That's the word that's used right there. But, but when we look at this word, we, we, we see elements of, okay, it's often connected to prayer. Almost every time that we see this word in the Bible, it's directly linked to giving thanks to God, often in prayer. But then we see that this word is actually a compound word, okay? So it's two words, and I'm not saying this for the adults, I, I think you know this, but we also have the kids. It's two words that are put together to make a new word. The first part of the word is that word you, It's spelled E-U. It's the word of doing something well. So so what is that word, that acting well? Well, it's the word that the master uses to commend his servant in Matthew 25, verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. That word, well done, is the word you. You. You, you, you did well. You acted appropriate, appropriately. You responded rightly. So the first thing that we're going to see that thankfulness includes the idea of acting rightly. It's the right response. It's an appropriate response. The second word, the second part of this compound word is the word charis. Some of you, we, we have people in our church named Charis. What does it mean? Grace. It's a word that's all over the Bible. That word charis is unmerited favor. It's a blessing we did not earn. It's a gift we did not deserve. What we see with this second word is that this idea that thankfulness is linked with grace. Thankfulness is tied to receiving a gift we didn't earn or deserve. Thankfulness is linked with unmerited favor. So let's put these two ideas together, both acting well and unmerited favor or or grace. What you end up with is the idea of responding rightly to the grace we have received. That's what thankfulness is. It's the right response to what you've been given. Now, the right response isn't always going to be the same. For example, if for Christmas or your birthday, your grandmother gives you $5 that you can spend for anything you want, there's some right responses with that. For example, who should you thank for that gift? Not your best friend. Unless your grandmother is your best friend. But you should thank the person who gave you the gift. How should you thank them? Well, it should be in proportion to what was given. You shouldn't go and thank them and say, and now, grandmother, I will worship you. I will bow down at your feet because you have given me $5. That would be an inappropriate response. But thankfulness is the right response according to the grace or the gift that was received. So then Paul has the two elements that he's showing that this is the type of response that we should have, the right response. Giving thanks to the Father. That giving thanks is not a one and done. How does he want this giving thanks to happen? Continually. It's supposed to be unending. 
Every step of the process of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord should be undergirded by this thankfulness. There always we should be thankful without ceasing. The other element is that all of that thankfulness should be towards one object, to one person. Who? Giving thanks to the Father. So here's the question. If that's the right response, if the right response is that you should always be thankful and it should always be to one person, one God, to God the Father, what kind of grace is needed in order for that to be the right response. It has to be an incredible grace. It has to be a grace that would cause us to be thankful to the core of our being. The only thing that could possibly cause this type of response would be if the gift was truly astounding. It would have to be a gift of such incredible proportions that it would be overwhelming. A gift so wonderful that even in the face of immense trials and adversity, there would still be cause for gratitude because of the magnitude of the gift. And that's exactly what we have received. Paul is going to share why we are thankful. And the truth he shares about the grace we have received should overwhelm us. Because when we are overwhelmed by grace, we will pursue our purpose with gratitude. So what grace have we received? What grace have we received that would warrant us responding continually with thanksgiving to God? Well, let's look at it. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We're going to look at that list, but a couple of things that I just want to point out on that before we jump into it. One of the things is, this is not complicated. This isn't some like secret that we were like, oh man, I was at church. Now, if, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, this might be new to you, and in which case, I'm excited about this. But for many of us, we know this. We've heard this. Paul's writing to believers. They're already familiar with this. These are simple things. And yet what we miss out is understanding their significance. We think that because they're simple that they're not deep. But this depth should overwhelm us. Why? Because all of these things, if we had to label this, put a category to all these things, what is this list? It's grace. It's unmerited favor. It's a gift that was not earned it's a blessing that wasn't deserved. Let's look at this, these, this first one. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. What does it mean to be qualified? It means that you're worthy. That God has chosen to include you. That he's chosen you to be part of, of this, of what he's given you. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians, but he uses, uh, in ESV, we have it translated as sufficient, but it helps us to understand this. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient, that word, in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient 
to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God, in, in ourselves, we are not sufficient. In ourselves, we are not qualified. But God has seen it to make us sufficient, to make us qualified, not in ourselves, but in him. What has he qualified us for? An inheritance. An immeasurable gift. It's not just, though, any inheritance. I mean, you can, if you tell someone, oh man, I just got an inheritance, there's a wide range of what that might be. It might be a really weird knick-knack paperweight that's going to go on your desk. That's the type that I generally get. <laughs> it might be something incredible, but, but no matter what kind of earthly inheritance it is, it has no comparison to the inheritance that God is promising. This is what 1 Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is glorious. It's glorious not just because of the magnitude of the gift, which we cannot even begin to comprehend, but it's also glorious because of how little we deserved it. If he had to qualify us, what does that imply? It means that we weren't qualified. It means we did not deserve it. This isn't an inheritance that we earned. You can't earn an inheritance. It means that he has placed us in the position to be able to receive this blessing. We didn't deserve it. We weren't his children, but we still are given an inheritance. Now, I think that we, we kind of feel like, okay, I didn't deserve it. I didn't like necessarily undeserve it. We kind of think of ourselves in this place as being neutral, and God's like, yeah, okay, you know what? I'm feeling benevolent today. Let me give you an inheritance. That's not the case. There's this great parable that Jesus talks about of a vineyard where there's all of these, these workers, and they're working the fields, and, and the master, the owner of the fields, he sends his servant to get what he is owed. And what he is owed, if we were to think of this beyond just the parable, he, we owe him our praise. We owe him our lives. We owe him everything. And what did the workers of the fields do? We're not giving him that. Kill the, kill the, kill the messengers. Get rid of them. No, this, we're going to do our own thing. Well, then what happens? He keeps on sending messengers. What do they keep doing? They beat them. They get rid of them. They send them away. No, we're not going to do what you're asking us to do. Until finally, who do they, does the master send? Sends his son. And what do they do? Well, let's read it. When the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Who, who get, what, what is the heir? What does he get? He gets the inheritance. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? That's a good question. <laughs> what is the owner going to do to the tenants who killed the heir of the inheritance? The tenants think 
this is how we are going to get the inheritance. We're going to kill him and take it for ourselves. Can they do that? Can they force the master to give them an inheritance? No. What would we expect then the master to do to those who killed his son? What does the master do? He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Who are we in that story? We're the tenants. We're the workers of the field. We're the ones who looked at the son and said, we're not going to give him what the master wants. We're going to kill him. And we did. What we should expect from that is, you're done. You didn't deserve the inheritance before, but now there's nothing you're going to get other than my wrath. That's what we should expect. That would be justice. But we don't receive the justice here. We receive grace because we are under Christ. He qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What's interesting there of of that in light, do you think that maybe, we we heard Andrea read earlier, um, Acts 26. Do you think maybe that Paul, as he's talking about that, is thinking about his own story thinking about this moment where he was doing what was despicable. He was going and persecuting Christians. He was murdering them. He was dragging them out. He was calling them and telling them to blaspheme against God. He was in darkness, and he's walking on the road to Damascus. And what does he see? A glorious light. And he goes on to say that this is what he has been called to do now is to share the light with others. There's this element, but now I was this, but you qualified me to inheritance of the saints in light. This is meant to be overwhelming. But it keeps getting better. Because he also delivered us from the domain of darkness. This domain of darkness, this is... This is the world we live in. Ever since the fall, when, when, when we sinned against God, when we rebelled against him, we have been in the domain of darkness. But he delivered us. That word delivered, it, it's, it's a rescue mission. He rescued us. He came to us. How do you deliver someone out of the domain of darkness? If we think of different missions, if someone is is trapped, if they're imprisoned, how how can you rescue them? You have to go to that place. To deliver us out of the domain of darkness required him to come to the domain of darkness. But, But one of the things that we need to understand is the domain of darkness is not just where we are. It's who we are. Ephesians 5 says, for, you, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. We, we need to get this or we're going to miss a big part of the grace that's demonstrated here. See, if, if we were to look at this, there's a way that we could think of this as almost like a prisoner of war or, or a child that's been kidnapped. When we think about, oh, rescue missions. I love stories about rescue missions. Let's, let's talk about these different big, uh, if you've watched different war movies that are, they went in and they rescued someone. But, but the problem with those imagery, and there is an element where this is a, a battle, a military mission, but the problem with that imagery is, why was the person imprisoned? Was it any fault of their own? No, 
They were doing a good thing. A child that was kidnapped, we were like, of course they need to be rescued. They're, they're innocent. Is that us? No. This domain of darkness isn't just one where like, man, I need to rescue all these poor people who, who, who uh, for, to no fault of their own, are imprisoned in darkness. No, that's not the case. We were darkness. It, it, it's like it, there can be an element where we are trapped, and, and yeah, there's no way for us to get out of this. We truly are imprisoned. We need someone to deliver us. But we also need to understand that the reason we are there is because of our own sin. We aren't captive because of someone made us be captive. This, this is the nation of Israel. How many times did God warn them and say, listen, if you do this, it's going to lead to captivity. And then they would do it. And then God would rescue them. That, that's not like, God, rescue them. Come on. They, they didn't mean it. Give them another chance. No. They knew what they were doing. We knew what we were doing when we rebelled against God. We sinned against God, and yet he still chose to come into our darkness. He cho still chose to deliver us from the domain of darkness. This again, we think of that story, this is where Paul is just overwhelmed by this. He says, this is what Christ told him in, uh, that we heard read before, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. But the beauty is he didn't just deliver us. He didn't just come and say, all right, you're free. Now it's your job. Get out of here. Okay, like here, here, let me, I'm going to slip you the key. You can unlock it and now you, you figure things out. Why? What would happen if that happened? Just lock myself back up again. Don't you know you are no longer slaves to these things? If it's up to us, we're just going to stay there. But he not only delivered us, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is where we were always meant to be. When God created the world, this is the kingdom that he wanted us in. This is the paradise under his authority. Not trying to be like God in our own power, but realizing we are like God because that's who he made us to be. Last week, we talked about the imagery of, of that tree that's growing. Maybe you did experiments like this when you were a kid and you tried to plant a seed and you would do some that were out in the light and then some you would put in a closet and there was never light and stuff. It might grow for a little bit, but that thing's going to die. It needs to be transplanted. It needs to be taken out of the darkness and planted in the light. That's what we have here. He removed us. He delivered us from darkness, but then he didn't just say, figure it out. He placed us into the kingdom of light. Again, this is grace. We don't deserve this. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into 
his marvelous light. What is this? Did we deserve this? No, we rebelled against his rule. We turned to other gods. We served other kings. But he has called us into his kingdom. This is overwhelming grace. We should be overwhelmed by this. But there's a question that that there's still something that we need to address that's missing. Why is all of this grace? What put us in the position that we needed all of these things to happen? Sin. Sin is the cause for us being unqualified. Sin is the cause that we were in darkness. Sin is the cause that we were not in the kingdom of light. But here's the question. Did God just change his mind about our sin? If if before God said, look, that's it. On the day you do this, you shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. My holiness, my justice requires me to respond to sin. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Did God just change his mind for some of us where he says, you know what, I'll look the other way for you. No, he can't. That's not according to his character. That sin still needs to be dealt with. So how is it possible that we are qualified if we're sinners? How is it possible to be delivered from darkness if the darkness is in us? How is it possible to be in the kingdom of light when we are darkness? When the light exposes our sin? Because in him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. That idea of redemption is a ransom that is paid. Who is the ransom paid to? I think sometimes we misunderstand this idea. um, and, And don't get me wrong, I love these books. Right now I'm reading them to my eldest daughter, Narnia. I love them. They're great. There's, there's some very helpful things, but there's one concept in there that's unhelpful. And it's the concept of who the debt is paid to. It's the concept of who is keeping things accountable. In the stories, Edmund has messed up. He's imprisoned. He's, he's in the domain of darkness. And he needs to be freed. But the white witch comes and says, something needs to be paid before you can have him. And what she becomes is the executor of the will. And she says, I need to be satisfied before I will let this one go. Unless I am satisfied, this person cannot go. And what it looks like is that she is the one that is keeping Aslan accountable. That's not what we have in the gospel. Satan did not banish us from the garden. God banished us according to his holiness, according to his justice. So who's, who needs to be satisfied because of our sin? God does. Satan is not the one that is punishing sin. God is the one that's punishing sin. The one that needs to be satisfied in, before he gives the inheritance, the one who needs to be satisfied before he rescues us from darkness, the one who needs to be satisfied before he allows us into his kingdom is the Father. And how did he choose to do that? He didn't look the other way. He chose to give his Son. 
This is how all of this happens. This is the greatest evidence of grace. That Jesus Christ came and he died in our place. That he qualified us because of his work. This is John 1.12. How is it that we are qualified? Because to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who are the people that get an inheritance? The children do. How are we children? Because of him. How were we delivered from darkness? Because Jesus said, I have come into this world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. How are we transferred into the kingdom of his son? Because he, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The only reason that we have all of these things is because we have been reconciled, because the ransom was paid. What was the ransom? Well, what are the wages of sin? It's death. And who paid the price? For Christ died for the ungodly. Was that earned? Was that deserved? Was it merited favor? No. This is grace. Our sins have been forgiven. That should overwhelm us. That should absolutely floor us that this is the reality of what God has done. One of the things that we see in Paul, though, is that Paul never got past grace. When we talked earlier about the things that overwhelm us, and I said there is something greater that should overwhelm us, it's grace. Because all of a sudden, all of these other things get placed into a dip. We, we see them with a different perspective. The proportion of these things is totally different because when we look at the magnitude of what God has given us, this magnitude of grace, that it doesn't matter how much we look at it, we can't even begin to comprehend how great this is. These other things are still hard, but they're nothing compared to this. And Paul never got past that. And so then Paul, because he was overwhelmed by grace, he pursued his purpose with gratitude. Over and over, I'm giving thanks to this. So how does this thankfulness help us? Remember, all of this is in view of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. This thankfulness is meant to help us along that process. Because when we are overwhelmed by grace, it motivates us. It propels us forward. It protects us. It helps us praise. It's interesting when we look at the book of Colossians, we see Paul using thankfulness to accomplish different things. In Colossians 1.10, that's the goal, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But then we see thankfulness as praise. When Colossians, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Does that please the Father when we praise him through gratitude? It does. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. What are we doing? We're praising God. Does that help us accomplish our purpose? Yeah, because our purpose is to praise God. But thankfulness also protects us from the lies. 
Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We can't go into all the ways that thankfulness protects us, but, but here's just a few. Thankfulness helps protect us from pride. This wasn't me. It was grace. Thankfulness protects me from thinking this is impossible because the impossible has already been done. Thankfulness protects me from being overwhelmed by lesser things because I'm already overwhelmed by the greater thing. Why? Because thankfulness helps us remember what we've already received. And thankfulness propels us forward. It's motivating. In Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What is the right response to the magnitude of the grace that we have received? This overwhelming reality. The right response is to walk worthy of it. The right response is to say, whatever I do, in word or deed, I'm going to do it for you out of gratitude. We talked about this last week when we said that, that bearing fruit is, is a fruit. Good works are a fruit, not a root. When we think about a root and that's what gives life to the tree, that's not good works. Good works are the result of what has already given life. What's given life? Grace. The gospel. Jesus Christ. When we have those things, what should come out is the fruit of thankfulness. So the question again, do you ever find yourself overwhelmed? What is overwhelming you? Throughout this entire week, I, I cannot tell you how many times I had to catch myself because my mind starts going to all these things. Oh, there's this and there's that and there's, oh man, and just going through all these things. And most of the things, good things, but they're beyond me. One of the great things about being overwhelmed shows you how small you are. And we can be overwhelmed by how small we are and still think that it falls on us to accomplish this. It's not going to work. Or we can be overwhelmed by how small we are in relation to how great God is. And that's what we need. And that's thankfulness. What's overwhelming you? I, I'm, I'm not a prophet, but I'm pretty sure I could say we're going to get overwhelmed regularly. When you're feeling that thing, stop say, wait a second, I don't need to be overwhelmed by that. I'm overwhelmed by grace. I'm overwhelmed by what God has done. He has qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered me from the domain of darkness. He has transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom all of this was caused because I am redeemed and I am forgiven. When we are overwhelmed by grace, we pursue our purpose with gratitude. Right now, we're going to celebrate our gratitude. We're going to have a moment to, to look at this and, and realize how thankful we are. The worship team can come on up. But this element that we're supposed to do, one of the problems that we have with grace is what? What do we, did this grace ever diminish? Has this ever ceased to be true? No. This has always been true. So what's the problem? We forget. 
We forget the grace that we've received. What do we need to do? We need to remember. And thankfulness helps us remember. And one of the things that we do to help us remember is celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In a little bit, I'm going to invite us to come to the table uh, to, to take the elements. Don't, you don't partake of them yet. You are going to sing a song together while you come forward to take these elements. But, but before we do, all of those things, all of those elements of grace, those are not universal. Not every single person can be overwhelmed by grace because they have not yet received that grace. All of the truth that we talked about, that Christ died, all of those elements that, that are sin, that separated us from a holy God, all of those things are universally true. Who God is, is true. It's not up for debate. Who we were, our sin, separating us from God, again, not up for debate. The fact that Christ came perfect and holy and died and paid the price for sin, also true, not up for debate. But that last part of how you respond to that truth is not uh, how you respond to that truth is not universally true. There needs to be a response to that. If you have not placed your faith in Christ alone, you are not qualified. You are not delivered. You are not transferred. You are not redeemed. You are not forgiven. But you can be. You can be. You can be overwhelmed by grace. You don't have to be overwhelmed by this world. You don't have to be overwhelmed by sin. You can be overwhelmed by grace when you place your faith in Christ Jesus. If you have done that, then you are welcomed to the table in order to celebrate, to remember, to reflect on the marvelous grace in relation to our despicable sin. To see both of those elements Right now, we're going to sing a song. You don't have to come up right at the beginning of the song. You can come up at different moments. But as we are singing this song of, of just who God is, oh, Lord, our rock and redeemer. Yeah, about our God, who is our rock, who is our redeemer, our great deliverer. As we sing a song that is all about God's grace, come and take, uh, grab the elements, and after, we'll partake of them together. Let's stand together as we sing this song.